goal for the Irish at the timeout. Williams, right to the right side. Powers to the end zone. Look, low snap, picked it up, takes an end zone shot, and finding McKinley goes up and gets it, and it is a touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Homers podcast with your hosts, Mason Plummer and Nathan Erbach. All right, welcome into a special edition of the uh, Golden Homers podcast. I mean, obviously, we're coming to you for the first time this week. Uh, myself and Mason, uh, we did a, um, a spaces yesterday for you guys, uh, but wanted to get some news out to you after National Signing Day. So when you're listening to this, it'll actually be two days since we did the spaces. Um, again, I'm Nathan Erbach. I'm obviously joined with my co-host, Mason Plummer, as usual. Um, and essentially today, we just want to break down the, the 2022 recruiting class for you guys. Um, you know, obviously, it's a class that has been, you know, for the most part, you know, the guys have been committed for a long time. And, and the top targets that, you know, they recently landed, um, you know, have, have at least been names that we've known for a long time. And then obviously, you know, some bad news today with, with some certain guys or, or in the last couple of days or whatever you want um, you know, last couple of days, last couple of weeks, whatever it is, um, some bad news there that I think some people might argue is sort of a damper on the class. Um, but overall, and I think Mason, you'll echo these comments, is the class is really good um, just in general um, and probably the best class overall, overall that Notre Dame has landed, um, maybe since 2013, but certainly, um, you know, it, it certainly compares favorably to the, to the best classes of the Brian Kelly era. Yeah, definitely. And you, you kind of said it, you know, it's it's unfortunate that there had to be a damper on the end of the class because, you know, recency bias, you lose three guys or I guess two right now. And then you're you're sure to lose a third and CJ Williams. So losing three guys at the end of a class isn't ideal. It certainly puts a damper on things. But at the same time, it's important to remember that Notre Dame got a lot of these guys committed and they weren't wavering. So getting it done and uh and just getting them locked into Notre Dame was it was an important thing that a lot of programs don't do. They have a lot of guys leaving at the end or, you know, going through a coaching transition. And you saw what happened to what happened to Oklahoma and Clemson and Florida and just all these programs that lost their head coach. And then their their recruiting classes kind of dispersed and disbanded and uh, just weren't what they were before. Notre Dame losing three guys, albeit I like all three players. Uh, it's not it's not the worst thing ever. It could have been much worse. Um, obviously, it's not great to lose them, and especially considering they're at positions of need, considering it's a it's a defensive back and Devin Moore and then two receivers and C.J. Williams and Amorion Walker. But Notre Dame will, re will rebound. The, the strengths get even stronger. The offensive line, defensive line, uh, the linebacker, the linebacker class is just ridiculous. And then Notre Dame is always usually able to get a good running back and two really good tight ends. So the, this class has the chance to be really, really good. I won't say it's special. Uh, I think with the the three guys that that have uh, backed off from Notre Dame, I think it had the chance to be special. But um, looking forward, there's a lot of exciting times with Marcus Freeman that we both think will be special, including this upcoming class in 2023, which, you know, a year, a year in the future, we're going to have a really good, really good look at uh, what Marcus Freeman can do as a recruiter and uh, what he can do in his first full cycle at Notre Dame. I, I think 2023 will be better than really good. I think 2023 would be special. Yeah. And, I, and before I, I go on further, I want to preface this by saying that, 
you know, losing CJ Williams and, and Devin Moore specifically are, are huge blows to this class. I mean, I think when I went back and re and ranked like all of my guys in the class for, for Notre Dame prior to their decommitments, um, you know, CJ Williams was number three and Devin Moore was number four. And, and the crazy part about that is that if you were to look back, you know, five or six years, um, you know, previously, you lose your third and fourth ranked guys in the class, at least from my perspective. And that's a huge blow to Notre Dame. And while it's a, you know, while it's something that no one wanted, and certainly specifically, I think at wide receiver losing Williams and now Walker to Michigan today, you know, you only end up with one wide receiver. So that's certainly an area of need. The class overall is still really, really good. And when you look at it from just a ranking standpoint, I think we were going over it earlier, you know, on certain websites, there's six, other ones, there's seven and, you know, maybe eight or whatever it is. And that's the highest they've been under, under Brian Kelly outside of that 2013 cycle when they landed Jalen Smith. So even with losing out on a couple, a couple guys, um, like you said, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not ready to call this class special, a special class is the, what Texas A&M is bringing in this year. Um, but I am willing to say that this is certainly one of the better classes. And I'm going to say under the Brian Kelly era, just because he was the head coach when most of these guys came in, came in the fold. So under the Brian Kelly era, this is certainly, uh, you know, one of the best classes he's brought in and, and just kind of another, um, you know, reason to say that he kind of left us in a really good spot, um, even though he left in, in weird circumstances. Yeah, definitely weird circumstances, but yeah, it is important to, to look back at the previous classes, what Notre Dame recruiting classes did look like, and then look at what this class is now. And I think it has a really high floor. I think a lot of these players are going to be very good at Notre Dame. And there's a, there's a few wild cards, but you like that in a class where you never know what a guy can be. And sometimes you end up with a Owusu Koromoa a guy that's a, a three-star, but turns out to be your best player. So I think there's a lot of potential in this class. I think it has a high floor as well. Uh, I'm just really excited to see what, what Freeman's going to do with it. And I'm just really excited to just see what, what the future of Notre Dame is. It's a, it's a brand new era, the, the Freeman era, and it's a, it's a new wave of Notre Dame football. And these guys are the first group to experience that in full. So uh, it should be super interesting. And one of the first things we mentioned, you know, yesterday – and, you know, or one of the things we mentioned, I should say yesterday when we when we did our spaces for those of you that that are listening to this and also listen to that, you know, is the idea that when you bring in a new head coach, whether it's, you know, a guy that you're promoting like Marcus Freeman or bringing in someone completely new, especially this late in the cycle, you're probably going to reap those benefits, um, assuming that there are the benefits, you, you get the benefits of it the next year. So judging Marcus Freeman off losing guys like Williams and, and Moore and Walker, who were all guys that were probably going to leave regardless, who was the head coach in Notre Dame, you know, judge Marcus Freeman off of 2023 and 2024. And you even saw today, um, and then we'll start getting into some actual, you know, the guys that signed with Notre Dame, you know, they are, they offered a 2025 kid today on on the on national signing day for the 2022 class and ironically enough it happens to be the brother of a of a former great who you mentioned in jeremiah wusu koromoa so this that that to me shows you that they're they're not sleeping they're not you know resting on their laurels but and they're not worrying about these guys that are are gone they're they're looking forward to the future 
Um, I think me and you also talked about this yesterday. I would not be surprised if they end up landing a, a wide receiver, um, you know, in the 2022 cycle that signs in February, maybe even a defensive back or whoever, if some guys emerge and, you know, and certainly through the portal. So while it's, you know, while it's, you know, um, the wide receiver room looks a little, you know, shaky right now, at least from a depth perspective. I mean, I do like the talent, assuming everybody returns the, you know, the, the depth needs to improve. You probably need to add at least one guy, maybe even two, probably two actually. Um, and I, there are certainly some portal names and some guys that haven't signed yet or might not sign in December that we can look at. Yeah, we're certainly going to learn some names here in the upcoming weeks. I think now is a perfect time to really be evaluating, of course, at the time that you're not at practice, if you're Marcus Freeman and the staff. So uh, the recruiting staff is not necessarily an overhaul, but in a, a, they're looking at recruiting in a different light under Freeman, and I really like it. And we're going we're gonna to see that here soon. So some names are going to emerge in this, what do we have, like three weeks, two weeks until uh, – until Nerding squares off with Oklahoma State. So in this time, it's good time to get get in on some guys, make yourself known in terms of um, make yourself known to them, make Notre Dame a priority to them potentially, and get some guys in this class that we weren't aware of before. Get them in the class by February and make this defensive back situation or the, the receiver situation not look as bad. A 21-man class isn't ideal. Um, I, I highlighted on Twitter today that, you know, if, if Notre Dame sticks with this 21-man class, which is low, that next year's class will likely be 27 or 28 guys, which would be entertaining um, just because just there's more targets, more opportunities for more guys to end up at Notre Dame, which would be interesting. But, yeah, 21-man class isn't ideal. I'd like to see it get to maybe 23, 24. They have to be the right guys, though. You mentioned this in the spaces yesterday that, they can't just be bodies. I know you, you don't like that that term. I don't really either, but I don't really know what other name to, to say, I guess, or word to use. Um, you don't want to just bring in guys just to bring them in if they're guys that are just going to be transferring out. You want to bring in guys that can impact the program positively and can really you know make an impact and, and be contributors on the field. So you, you don't want to take anybody. They need to be Notre Dame fits, so that kind of cuts your parameters a little bit. But you got to trust that, you know, with this new recruiting staff and Dre Brown and Chad Bowden and Marcus Freeman and Elston Reese, everybody that's really taking recruiting in a different light that they'll be able to kind of figure this thing out and get some new targets in and get some new names on the board. Yeah. And I think that's certainly the case when it comes to, to, you know, fresh or like the, the high school guys that you're recruiting. I mean, you don't bring in guys that you don't think compete at the level that you're, that you're recruiting for or, or playing at. And then obviously with transfers, it's a little bit, a little bit to a lesser extent. I mean, obviously it's always nice to, to bring in some quality depth, but at the same time, you're not going to land many kids in the transfer portal that don't feel like they're going to play for you right away. I mean, you probably don't land a Jack Cohen in the portal last year if he doesn't think he's going to end up starting. And so, I mean, wow, maybe you can bring in a depth transfer, a wide receiver, a kid that's not necessarily a starter or at least like your best player. That's a hard thing to sell when you're getting a kid from possibly another really good program or a guy that's trying to get a, make a, a leap up in competition who's known, you know, who's kind of used to being the guy where he was at. Um, it's, it's definitely tough to, uh, to sell that and be like, oh, okay, well, you can come here and be the fourth or fifth guy for us. I mean, that just doesn't happen too often. So, um, so yeah, I mean, when, 
you're, you're not just, and I mean, I do like the term, <laughs> you know, bodies. I just don't like it in the sense of bringing in just a body. If you're going to bring in somebody, it better be someone that you expect to contribute. Um, and I want to make it known too. Like, I mean, we've gotten some comments the last couple of days about like, oh, don't bring in a Ben Skoronek type. And in my head, I'm thinking, so why wouldn't you want to bring in a kid that will probably start for your team next year and was an NFL, like was drafted to play in the NFL and is actually contributing at a decently high level for a seventh round pick uh, in his rookie season? I will take that all day, every day with what has happened to the, rec uh, the wide receiver recruiting room over the last you know week or so. Um, and, and not to mention, that's not even a slide at Ben Skoronek. I mean, Ben Skoronek, I thought was a really good player. He ended up getting, he ended up getting hurt at Notre Dame and, and missed some time. And because of that wasn't as effective and the stats weren't as good as maybe people would have hoped. But when you watched him play, when he was healthy, he was a, you know, maybe not a dynamic player, but he certainly was a, a quality player. And I think people sometimes confuse, you know, someone like you're not stunning the growth of a Jaden Thomas, for example, if you bring in Ben Skoronek, because Ben Skoronek is better than Jaden Thomas, at least at that point in time. So the idea that someone is younger, just because they have a little bit more upside doesn't mean that they're ready to play. And I think that that's sometimes a, a common misconception when you're when you're talking about players and, and recruits and so on and so forth. You know, not every guy who's an upperclassman is going to have a higher upside than the lower classman, but it doesn't mean that they're not better at that point in time. So, right. Um, and to turn down a guy like Skronik, I would like those people to say that out loud. No, I don't want an NFL guy in the Notre Dame program at a position <laughs> of need. Say that out loud for me. There's just no way. Yeah. Well, and then not only that, and then I know we're kind of rambling on like we usually do, but. Like, go, go tell me how many NFL wide receivers there are that have come from Notre Dame currently. I mean, you have Chase Claypool. You have a couple guys that are, you know, sort of, you know, just kind of chilling there in the league, like Miles Boinkin and, you know, some guys that are more recently retired or at least not playing yet. And a guy like Golden Tate, for example, Michael Floyd is, you know, hasn't maybe had the career that people expected, but were, was obviously really good at Notre Dame. And you know, Brown as well. Yeah, Fuller is, you know, has been hurt, but he's obviously good when he plays. But like that, you're, you're getting, I mean, kind of just building my point there is it's not like Notre Dame has some Alabama or Ohio State pipeline at wide receiver. So the idea that's Coronic isn't Notre Dame caliber um, is a little odd to me. But I mean, at the same time, I guess there's the, you know, you want to keep getting better at wide receiver and maybe turn yourself into an Ohio State or an Alabama there. So that, that, but even then, I mean, Skoronek would play at a lot of power five programs and would have gotten drafted if he played at a lot of those power five programs. So uh, the, the point still remains. Yeah. I don't know why people didn't like him. I don't, I, I think they just get it stuck in their head that he was from Northwestern and Notre Dame reached on him or something. I don't know. I thought he was very good and he wasn't even at his full capability, like you mentioned because of his injury, but uh, we can move on. Cause I, I don't think we're, if you're, if you're stuck thinking that Ben Skoronek sucked, then, you can't be convinced otherwise, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the way I kind of want to do this, Mason, I, I was thinking about going maybe like QB through, you know, through DB or, or special teams, whatever. But I think we, we probably should start with just what we feel is like the best in the class. And I think that's linebacker and offensive line and, and, and tight end. I should loop all three of those in together. Um, not only from a depth standpoint, but from a talent standpoint. Um, so for those of you that don't follow recruiting very well, but like to, you know, sort of get into it once the class signs. Um, Notre, Notre Dame signed a four-man class at linebacker uh, with their top recruit, at least according to the 
um, you know, to the recruiting, uh, to the recruiting sites for, for the most part, uh, Jalen Snead out of South Carolina. Um, I think right now he's a five-star on the 24 seven composite. Um, and like I said, he's a kid that has, is kind of the consensus number one player in the class right now. Um, you know, after that, you have a guy like Joshua Burnham who Notre Dame was sort of, um, probably not going to land. And I've mentioned this several times, they probably weren't going to land him until Marcus Freeman came in the fold. Um, he probably would have ended up at Michigan, ironically enough. Um, but you know, Freeman and, and, and others on the staff did a really good job when they, you know, when he came on and ended up kind of flipping the script there. And, you know, he was down to Notre Dame and Michigan when he ended up committing, um, and stuck through that, the, the entire time. And like I said, that's Joshua Burnham out of Michigan. Um, another kid, Nolan Ziegler, um, he was a kid that probably would have always gone to always, you know, came to Notre Dame, but if they didn't recruit him at a high level, he might've ended up at a school like Michigan. Um, another four-star linebacker out of Michigan. So, um, and I know me and you have both had the pleasure of speaking with him, um, specifically, and he just is a great kid, bleeds Notre Dame through and through. And, you know, I know I don't like this term, but the art, the RKG term that Kelly used to use, I mean, that, that really applies to a kid like, like Nolan Ziegler. And that's someone that you have to land on a yearly basis. Um, and then lastly, uh, junior, uh, Tui Halamaka out of California, um, again, same kind of the same way as Jalen Seed and Joshua Burnham. You don't land that kid without without Freeman in the fold. And I think Freeman even said in his introduction or in his uh, press conference today, you know, Sneed and Junior, I think were the two guys he mentioned specifically. Those weren't guys that like were chomping at the bit to come to Notre Dame. Those were guys that you, you know, had had good relationships with maybe Freeman and some of the coaches Notre Dame offered, so on and so forth. They knew Notre Dame was a prestigious university, both academically and athletically. But you had to show them what Notre Dame could provide. And, and I think Freeman and, and the rest of the staff did a good job of that. And obviously, um, you know, got all those guys to stick um, after the Brian Kelly news and a really terrific class at linebacker. Yeah, it's the best linebacker class that I can remember in, in terms of star power and depth as well. I mean, how do you how do you rank those four? I mean, I think Sneed's on top, but even if you saw, so I guess Ziegler would be the fourth, but man, that's a strong fourth. He he has the potential to be very, very good at Notre Dame. He reminds me of Drew Tranquil in the way that he plays. I think they're both kind of Tranquil was in between like a linebacker and safety. And that's the way I see Ziegler. He, I guess he's a little bit bigger, but um, both just really love Notre Dame, which is important as well. But both just, they play really hard and just have this passion about the game. That's kind of, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, contagious almost that just listen to Ziegler speak about Notre Dame. It's uh, super exciting. And yeah, you mentioned that he was, he was never going to go anywhere else uh, other than Notre Dame. As soon as he got that offer. I don't think he committed right away, but he might as well have like his, his commitment picture was like him uh, as a kid, you know, posing in the, in like the, the, one of the toy helmets or whatever in his basements painted, painted like Notre Dame colors. And I think he even had the stadium in the background, like where he lifts weights and stuff. So just so cool. That's a really cool story, but yeah, this linebacker class is just unbelievable in a class that Notre Dame needed to reload at linebacker and at past couple cycles with Clark Lee before Marcus Freeman took over as defensive coordinator linebacking or linebacker recruiting was an issue and then even the guys that they were bringing in were were moving on and guys I actually like like Jack Lamb moved on and um, you know you have a guy like Paul Mawala who moves from safety and then he comes down and he gets injured or Shane Simon doesn't end up being who you thought he was so uh, you needed more numbers and getting a four-man class like this at linebacker is huge. 
Yeah, and while they had recruited the position well from a talent standpoint, I mean, you even look at last year's class with Kali and and Khan Ukiya, who looks like he's going to be a really good player, even though I think he's moved to Viper. You know, like like you said, I mean, numbers was certainly an issue with guys moving on. I think even Freeman mentioned it today that that was something that they really needed to do this year is get four guys because they're expecting three or four guys to move on. Um, but and then and just kind of going a step further, I mean, I think all four of these guys were semifinalists for the for the Buckus Award for the high school um, top linebacker. I mean, none of them ended up winning it, but having four guys in like the top 16 or whatever it was. And I think they ended up having like two in the top four or five when it was all said and done, um, you know, that just goes to show you what they were able to land, um, you know, at linebacker this cycle. So um, a lot of those kids, and I know you mentioned like, you know, Nolan Ziggler, Nolan Ziggler, maybe being the fourth guy. I mean, I think in my final rankings, I, I have it Jalen Sneed, Burnham, Ziggler, and, and junior Tuliala Maka. Um, so I actually have Ziggler as the third guy, but mostly because of his versatility. I mean, I think Burnham and him could play anywhere from essentially safety to, to Viper at Notre Dame at some point. I think Junior could probably play Viper as well um, or defensive end if needed. And, you know, and obviously linebacker. And then Jalen Sneed is, you know, can pretty much play all three linebacker spots. Um, but uh, he seems like the prototypical rover. I mean, I think Notre Dame listed him at like 6'1", 198. So it's very, it's very Jeremiah Usukormo alike coming out of high school. Um, so yeah, certainly interested to see how that linebacker class, uh, move, uh, kind of goes on from here, but, uh, let's move on to offensive line. Mason, what are kind of your thoughts on the offensive line class coming in? Well, it wasn't really put together until the last couple of weeks. You get an absolute shock in Emil Wagner, and then you get a guy that's been, you know, going back and forth between Notre Dame and Wisconsin for the better part of a year in Billy Shrouth. So getting Wagner and Shrouth in the, into the class and, probably the two highest rated guys on the offensive line for me in this class and two just absolute studs. I think whether they play guard or tackle um, I do have my concerns about Wagner um, in terms of him, his ability to put on weight. Cause at the moment he looks like a tight end or like a, a lean defensive end, but hopefully Bayless will be able to get that all sorted out. But then uh, Joey Tenona as well, Ashton Craig, both really solid players as well. Uh, I got to see Tenona in my time at Rivals. I went down to watch him play, actually square off against Blake Fisher, which was really cool. And um, yeah, Tenona, he's a certified offensive line stud. He's hes not the kind of the guy that's going to like get in your face and be nasty like Billy Shrouth. Uh, nasty is a word that everybody seems to use with Shrouth. But Tenona's a guy, he's going to do his work quietly, but he's going to put your face in the dirt. And he's not going to say nothing about it, but he, he knows that he's good, right? So he, he's a very good football player. I'm excited for his future at Notre Dame. I think he's he's a guard, probably, um, given the way that he's been playing. He played all five positions in uh, in high school, though. I think he played all five positions while I was at that game. So uh, just super versatile, and that's what I like in offensive linemen because you are uh, <clears throat> you can play one position, you know, almost like a Josh Lug where you, you play tackle and you need to move to guard, and then if there's an injury, you have the ability to, to do whatever you like. So – I almost forgot to mention Ty Chan as well, who I'm very high on, and I think he's he's going to be very good at Notre Dame. Uh, Nathan, you see Chan as a as a tackle probably. I'm not great at at kind of picking out where I think they're going to play in the future as far as guard and tackle. I think Chan probably projects as a tackle, and uh, it looks like to be to be a very good one at that. Yeah, and well, actually, um, you know, kind of going off of that, I mean, that, one of the reasons I really like this class overall is obviously they brought in five guys that are all four stars. They're all really talented players overall. Um, beat out a lot of really good programs for those players as well. But I think it's like you could you could literally put a 
you know, they fill every spot on the offensive line with this class. I mean, I think Emil Wagner and Ty Chan um, could easily both be tackles uh, at the collegiate power five level. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Ashton Craig being a center for Notre Dame, and that's where they targeted him. And then you have Tonona and Strauss, who could be guards. I mean, I think Tonona could probably play tackle as well if need be. Same with Craig. I think he could play anywhere on the offensive line. But just the idea that you can essentially, like when these guys are fourth and fifth year guys, possibly, you know, they might all be starters <laughs> at Notre Dame. Um, and, and you could argue that just because of the versatility that all of them show. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think Emil Wagner almost has to play tackle. Um, Ty Chan, I think, could be guard or tackle. Same with Tonona. Uh, Craig can play anywhere. And then Shrouth, I think, is definitely an interior guy. But um, I, and, I, and I think another really cool thing about this class is not only are they just really good players, but they're all so closely rated, even in my final rankings. I know, Mason, you came up with kind of your final rankings today. Yeah. Um, but when I was just kind of re-looking through it, and I ended up putting Billy Shrouth and Emil Wagner in there because I hadn't put them in my rankings yet, I think it went like – seven eight nine for it was like shrouth first and then i had i'm higher on chan than most so i went chan and tanoa like seven eight nine and then like craig and emil wagner were both like 12 and 13 or some something close to that so all of those guys are just jumbled together and it wouldn't surprise me if one guy ended up being the best player in that class when it was all said and done but i think they're all going to be productive players or at least wouldn't surprise me if they are i mean it's i think it's hard to have all five end up being producers um, just kind of with the way recruiting works. I mean, you still have guys that are in this class, like a Rocco Spindler, um, who has, you know, four years of eligibility left. Um, you're going to obviously bring guys in in the 2023 cycle and, and so on and so forth. So, um, but, but it's definitely a good problem to have um, with all the depth that they're bringing in. Yeah, it seems like the offensive line's in a really, really good spot. You, you mentioned Rocco Spindler. Um, Pat Coogan is a guy I've heard good things about. And then it looks like you have your tackle sorted one way or another with Blake Fisher and Joe Alt. So both being freshmen. So uh, the offensive line's young and in a really good spot moving forward. Nathan, I, you kind of mentioned it, but do you want to go ahead and rank all five of them? Do you, do you have that in front of you, the offensive lineman? Yeah, so it went, I mean, it's kind of like I said, I don't know the exact where I exactly had them. I think it was seven, eight, nine for Shrouth being the number one guy. Um, and then Chan being number two and uh, Tonona being number three. And then I actually had a Wagner like, like a little bit after that at four. Um, a lot of the, for a lot of the reasons that actually you mentioned with the, you know, just putting on weight. And I think he's going to be a little bit of a project. Um, Albite, a very good one. And maybe you're looking at a Joe Alt next year um, or, or something similar, at least in a few years, where a guy that, you know, once he gets that weight put on, he's just going to be a really, really dynamic athlete at the tackle position. Um, but that was the one concern I had with him. So I, I did rank him a little bit lower, even though his upside is probably the best. Um, and then Craig, I had slightly below Wagner. So that's that was kind of the order I had it in. Okay, yeah, roughly the same for me. I, I'm thinking off the top of my head, I don't have it in front of me. Shrouth, Chan, Tonona, Wagner, Craig, I believe is is what I had, or at least that's what I'm thinking right now. So either way, though, it's kind of like the linebacking group where it's difficult to rank them because, like you said, I think all five have the potential to be contributors. It's hard for all five to be contributors, but all all five are very good, and uh, this is a very good offensive line class considering the, co the coaching turnover and considering the fact that Jeff Quinn might not even be coaching them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like you said, I mean, it's, it's very likely they're going to end up with a new uh, a new uh, offensive line coach, which is even, I mean, 
uh, more kudos to Tommy Reese and, and the rest of the staff um, and keeping those guys in the fold. I mean, I think I mentioned to you the other day that with all the talk of CJ Williams and Amorion Walker and Devin Moore, you know, leaving and stuff like that, a guy like Emil, Emil Wagner, who essentially surprised the staff with his commitment to Notre Dame, it never seemed like he was wavering, you know, once Kelly left. Um, and even knowing that, I'm sure that these guys know that their position coach is probably not returning. So when you have, <clears throat> when you have a guy like Wagner who, essentially just says, Hey, I'm committed to Notre Dame. I'm committed to Tommy Reese and the rest of the staff. Um, that's a, that's a really cool feeling. And those are the guys you want uh, to come to your program overall. Um, but let's move on to tight end. I mean, I think tight ends, the, the next position that really rivals the linebacker class and the, and the offensive line class is possibly the best in the nation at that spot. Um, and also the best in Notre Dame's class. So I know me and you are both very high on Eli Raritan specifically, um, and I think Holden's face sometimes maybe gets the short end of the stick just because of how, you know, how highly regarded, regarded Eli Raritan is specifically over the last couple months when he made the huge rankings or when he had the huge bump in the, the rankings for both rivals and 24 uh, seven sports. I mean, he's, and, and the way that the staff talks about him, I don't know if you listened to the press conference today, but yeah. Ray, the way they talk about him is essentially like he's the next Michael Mayer or Tyler Eifert. And I mean, that's really, really high praise for, for a kid coming in. Yeah, he, I mean, he is every, everything you you want and need in the, in this not necessarily new generation of tight end, but in new generation of tight end, right? He's more of a, he almost looks like a really like big just receiver, but he has the ability to be nasty and block as well. Uh, I think he's more of a Tyler Eifert than he is Michael Mayer. Uh, at least he doesn't have that build yet. Like Mayer came in day one looking like he was a, a junior in college. Just his build was ridiculous. And right. I think Raritan needs a little bit of time in Bayless's system to put on some necessary weight in order to play at Notre Dame. But there's no denying that. I think he's going to be very good. And um, as you were saying it, actually, I was thinking that I wanted to make a point that Holden stays doesn't get talked about enough just because Eli Raritan is talked about so much. And you mentioned that that massive bump that he got, which is totally deserved, by the way, considering the season he had. But um, yeah, Holden stays is very good in his own right. Like you see in his film, him getting double teamed, like teams just decide that they don't want they'll just take him out of the game. You're not going to get the ball. So um, stays is very good as well. I don't think he has the ceiling that Raritan does, but Notre Dame has been liking to bring in two guys at, at tight end and stays. I think he's a very high floor guy to where he he can do a lot of great things for a Notre Dame, for the Notre Dame program. And he can, could be a guy that surprises you as well. Yeah. Neither. And neither kid was in a, in an offense that really got to feature their, their abilities um, overall. So I think that's important in the, I mean, I think tight ends are very hard to kind of evaluate, at least when you're someone who doesn't really watch film. Um, like the Tom Loys and stuff like that of the world that, that get to see these guys on an, on a regular basis because they, because they do put in the time um, for that. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think with Raritan specifically, and, and I guess even bringing in two tight ends, I mean, this is another point I was going to make, you know, people want to complain about the wide receiver class, which I think is very valid. I mean, bringing in one guy is, I mean, borderline in, inexcusable, um, probably just inexcusable. I shouldn't even throw the borderline in there. Um, even with the idea that you had guys committed, you know, even up to today, um, essentially. But but I think what people kind of forget is that when you bring in an Eli Raritan, who you're expecting to be a dynamic receiving threat for you throughout his career, you're essentially bringing in an, another receiver. 
Um, and he's a guy that's going to contribute to your offense in a, in a very, very meaningful way. So while Notre Dame did miss on TJ Williams and, and Amorian Walker, and who knows what will happen in the future at wide receiver, it, it is good to know that they can essentially, if they need to, make their offense very run heavy, tight end heavy, and then use some of these guys that they do have at receiver, like Kevin Austin next year, like Tobias Merriweather, who we're going to get to here soon um, in the future that have game-breaking speed and, and can do a lot of things for you on offense. So again, I'm not trying to excuse the staff for the way that they handled the wide receiver position. Um, I think that they wouldn't even excuse themselves for that. Um, but it is important to note that when you have two dynamic guys like Holden Stace and Eli Raritan coming in, and you have a guy like Michael Mayer next year still on your roster, I don't think the passing game is going to be much of an issue for Notre Dame, and those guys are a, are a huge part of that. Yeah, I agree, and you, you know, you nailed it, that it is inexcusable to only bring in one receiver in a class that you needed three or four. I mean, it is what it is at this point. I had somebody in my mentions today saying, if it makes you feel better, just split out Raritan as a receiver, and you have another one. And I was like, I mean, that's true, but it's also not. Um, and it doesn't make me feel better because Notre Dame needed three or four guys in this class to make it what it needs to be in terms of numbers. I had another guy in my, in my DMs today just saying that, you know, even if you do bring back the senior class being Wilkins, Austin, Lindsey, Davis, that they'll all be gone the following season. So then you're still in this problem. And, you know, my, my response to that being that um, Notre Dame has another opportunity in 2023 and you, you hope they only bring in one guy, but you hope they bring in three or four, potentially bring in a guy in the transfer portal and give themselves a buffer rather than having to deal with this problem two times over. So um, it, it, the wide receiver position is a mess. Tight end is not. Our Raritan stays are very good on, on top of a, to some tight ends that I really like already. Obviously, everybody loves Michael Mayer, but Kevin Bauman hasn't been talked about enough. He's a name that will emerge. George Tackett, he doesn't get enough love for the blocking that he does and what he does for Notre Dame in terms of getting Michael Mayer open and giving him the opportunity to make receptions down the field. Um, Kane Barong hasn't even had a chance to make his impact on the program, and I really liked him coming out of high school. Um, I did just see a picture of him the other day uh, walking already, walking yeah. into practice after his ACL tear. I don't know how severe it was, but still, that's crazy. So tight end's in a great spot. I think it I don't want to say always, but it, it I think it always will be at Notre Dame. Uh, John McNulty looks really good, but I think he kind of has an easy job. Um, obviously, you got to make sure the guys get to Notre Dame, but yeah, he, he's looking pretty good right now. Yeah, and we're not, I and mean, obviously, we're not really getting into the 2023 cycle, but he already has, you know, a top notch tight end committed in Cooper Flanagan um, out of De La Salle High School in California for 2023. And I think he's a kid that, yeah, I mean, he was a he essentially committed to Notre Dame on the spot when they, when they, offered so he's a guy that you know I, I'm not going to say that you know you, you never know or I'm not going to say that <laughs> I guess you do never know what's going to happen but I'd be very shocked if he didn't end up in the class um, as a signee um, down the road so just another another guy to add to, to tight end you so um, but want to move on to go ahead sorry in a, a Notre Dame name Cooper Flanagan come on yeah, no, exactly. And, and I think, honestly, that's probably part of the reason why he committed, not necessarily because of his name, but because of his, you know, his heritage. I mean, he's probably Irish Catholic. Um, he goes to a Catholic high school in, in California. I mean, the, na the name speaks for itself. So I I would, I'm going to go ahead and venture to guess he grew up a Notre Dame fan, even though I haven't had the pleasure of talking with him. So, um, it, it, but it's just another, you know, 
bullet point uh, for, for, for tight end you and, and how successful it's been. And, and McNulty seems to be a, a really, really good ad uh, for, for the class. And it actually recently came out that he was a guy that Tommy Reese wanted, um, which made me feel very good about, you know, just Tommy Reese as a recruiter and as an offensive mind, as the offensive coach. I mean, he knows who he wants to bring in on the staff. Um, and I think he's going to start showing his chops on the recruiting trail, even more with Marcus Freeman as the head coach. But um, I want to move on to maybe some other positions that me and you both probably consider strengths uh, for this class, uh, running back certainly being one of them, um, only landing one guy, even though it looked like they were trying to get two uh, for the, you know, for the majority of the cycle. And, you know, there's obviously the arguments out there that they missed on a few guys. But one thing I think that Tommy Reese and other guys deserve a lot of credit for over the, you know, the last couple of years is that they've identified really, really talented players when they don't land maybe their top guys. So last year you miss on Will Shipley, you get Logan Diggs and, and Audric Estime. I would maybe take <laughs> those two over Will Shipley at this point, at least as a combo at, at the least. Um, and then this year you miss on guys like Dallin Hayden, you miss on a guy like Nicholas Singleton, who I know our guy Tom Loy thinks is the best running back in the country. Um, you know, you miss on Gavin Sawchuck who signed with Oklahoma today. But you land a guy in Jadarian Price out of Texas who seemed like sort of a backup option or at least like your number two back when he first committed. And then he went off and had a unbelievable senior season. And I don't I don't want to sound like we're just pumping a bunch of, you know, positivity to this to this uh, class right right now. But I mean, Jadarian Price is my number four guy in the class. Um, he wasn't obviously when CJ Williams and Devin Moore were there, but it just goes to show you at least, I mean, he was number six, you know, when those guys were, were still on the class and, or sorry, number seven, six or seven, whatever it is. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm bad at math, but you know, with those guys gone, I mean, he, he's in my, he's my number four player in the class. And honestly, I don't know if I would say that the other three guys that they missed on are, are a hundred percent better. Yeah, I think it was kind of thrown around, and I don't really know where it started, but it became kind of just accepted that there was a big three in terms of the the running backs Notre Dame was recruiting in the 2022 cycle, being the three that you mentioned, and Singleton, Hayden, and Sawchuck, and Notre Dame didn't get any of the three of them. I think you could argue that they finished second for all three, which is wild to think about, but to me, it should have been a big four with, um, with Jadarian Price included. Uh, maybe not before this senior season, but he certainly proved himself this season. And uh, getting a running back from the state of Texas is usually a good thing. So I really like that. I trust the staff to evaluate running backs based on what we've seen with Kyron Williams being obviously underrated as a recruit. I know he did a lot of growing at Notre Dame, but um, the evaluations of Diggs and Estime both look look to be, fill the role and look the part so far. So uh, Jadarian Price is a guy I'm very high on as well. I realized just looking after you said you had him at four, I have him at eight right now. That might need to move up a little bit. I did the, some rankings quickly at work today because I hadn't done them at all yet. So uh he definitely deserves to be higher than eight on my list. I, th I think he's a stud. I don't know if he's a guy that contributes right away. I think that kind of depends on what happens with the running back situation, who ends up being the lead back with Diggs, Tyree, Estime, and then, you know, then Price. But you, you need three running backs to get through a season. So he's one injury away from being a, a key contributor. And I think he's he has a body that's ready to do that already. You see some guys – that they come into college and they aren't necessarily ready for a, th a three down workload or to come in and go and bang between the tackles in terms of being a, a running back with that kind of size or capability to do that without 
being injured. I think Price has that capability. Yeah, and then obviously we didn't even mention Seba Flemister. I mean, we both expect him to probably hit the transfer portal and be a starter at, you know, maybe a lower level school, um, like a G5 or maybe an FCS program. Uh, who knows? Maybe he goes to Jackson State just like uh, Travis Hunter, which was wild yeah. today. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think the other the other thing to really note with with this, you know, with running back specifically, and maybe this is where Lance Taylor deserves a lot of credit. Um, over a guy maybe like Dell Alexander, you know, there's there's kind of been all this talk of you know Notre Dame not necessarily having backup options at wide receiver, and it, it, and you know I know obviously people don't want to you know you want to land your top guys you you know if Notre Dame landed Will Shipley last year if they landed you know Nicholas Singleton this year you know maybe there would be this idea that the offensive staff is just a, is really really good at recruiting or at least Lance Taylor specifically. But you got to keep in mind that you're not always going to land every player. And, it, you know, you got to give a lot of props to the staff for, for evaluating and targeting guys that look to be maybe just as good as some of the guys they've missed. Um, I mean, I don't think Logan – I don't think we expected Logan Diggs to be a contributor this year. And look at him now. He's probably in line to be the number one next year um, and maybe the number one in the bowl game. Um, passing, passing Chris Tyree, essentially. And then I, that w- wouldn't surprise me if – if someone like Jadarian Price next year ends up being um, a key contributor, I mean, obviously injuries happen at that position all the time. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised at all if Jadarian Price is a big time contributor for Notre Dame in, in 2022. Um, and, and like you said, you need three running backs. I mean, maybe with the wide receiver, you know, dilemma right now, Chris Tyree plays a lot more slot. Um, you know, obviously I know Logan Diggs is, a, is supposed to be a good pass catcher as well. Maybe he's able to line up in the slot every now and then. And then you have guys like Audric Estime and, and Jadarian Price that can, can run the rock for you. So um, getting him in the class, I think, is, is way, way more underrated than maybe people realize for sure. Yeah, definitely. And that's another case where he's been in the class for so long that I think people kind of forget about him and lose that excitement, I guess. Like if you picked up a Jadarian Price today, people would be pumped. But because he's been in the class for so long, you kind of forget about him. But yeah, people won't be forgetting about him when he's making an impact as a freshman here in a couple months. Yeah, yeah. And I think we mentioned that on Spaces yesterday, too, is that don't let the idea that Notre Dame's not having a big signing day, per se, get away from the fact that they have a really nice class. I mean, it doesn't all, you know, some, you know, you'd almost rather it be boring because at least, you know, the guys are committed and, and, and good to go than to land then have like the Florida USC situation where you have like seven or eight guys committed and you're hoping that these kids that you've been been on for a while, you know, end up coming your way. And, you know, sometimes it works out that way. Sometimes it doesn't. I mean, look at Texas A&M, obviously they already had a really good class, but they landed a bunch of guys today that they were very hopeful that they would get. And, you know, you could argue that a guy like an Anthony Lucas or an Anai White, who both committed to Texas A&M today, those weren't guys that were 100% locks for those programs or for that program. So um, it's, it's definitely nice to have, you know, 21 guys locked in. You know, you weren't going to lose any of them, um, you know, coming into today. So that, that was always nice. But The Golden Homers are brought to you by Generations Barbershop, a Notre Dame-themed barbershop that has been keeping Irish fans looking good since 1930, Brent and Gill are located on Lincoln Way East in Mishawaka, Indiana. Open 8 to 5 and by appointment, call or text Brent at 574-250-0622. That's 574-250-0622. Hey guys, Nathan here from the Golden Homers Podcast. When I'm cooking dinner or grilling on the weekends, 
I want to use what great chefs use in their steakhouses. Exceptional quality meats. Meetup Vegas is my hookup. Meetupvegas.com. That's M-E-A-T meet, meetupvegas.com. Their specialty meat packs come with veal cutlet, pork chops, and extra meaty pork baby back ribs or prime rib. And you already know meetupvegas.com is known for its unreal steaks. All the meat is individually vacuum sealed to maintain absolute freshness for 200 plus days in your freezer. And it's cheaper than you think. Check it out now at meetupvegas.com and use code IRISH10 at checkout to receive $10 off your first order. I want to move to the other side of the football here real quick, the defensive line position. Um, probably crazy we haven't talked about them yet. Maybe it's because it's just a three-man class. Um, I know I'm specifically very high um, on Aiden Gobira um, out of Virginia, but you also have Tyson Ford, who's a defensive end, you know, out of the out of Missouri. And then you have uh, Donovan Heinish, who's Kurt Heinish's younger brother. Um, and I think uh, Mike Elston mentioned it today, but essentially he's a, a, a more athletic and stronger, at least out of high school, uh, Kurt Heinish. And if sign me up for that, if you know that you're going to get at the very least Kurt Heinish production uh, at Notre Dame, I mean, no one's going to complain about that. So, you know, three-man class, nothing, nothing crazy. I mean, I do think the linebackers – one of the linebackers could end up being a, a Viper or whatever down the road. Um, so maybe this class isn't getting enough credit. Um, but I think there's certainly some, some high level upside and, and talent um, uh, for sure along the defensive line and another, another really good class for Mike Elston. Yeah. Go by and Ford are legit defensive end prospects. I think Ford has the potential, you know, based on how his body kind of adapts to the college game to potentially move inside uh, I think that with some added weight, that could be good for him. And then I, I see a guy like Joshua Burnham, maybe not likely, but I think there's a decent chance that he ends up as a Viper just based on his body type. And I guess it just depends on what Freeman wants to do with them. But there's so much versatility in this linebacker and defensive line group that's so exciting for for a guy like Marcus Freeman to, and, and Elston as well to be able to mold them to, you know, kind of how they see fit. They're, they're not just locked into one position. Uh, Go Byra is such a stud, man. I, I really like what he brings to the table. And then, yeah, I was listening to the press conference today, and Elston uh, wasn't shy to to talk about Donovan Heinish and say he's, you know, he's a younger, better, faster, stronger version of Kurt Heinish. And yeah, yeah, sign me up for that every day of the week and twice on Sunday. You know, um, Donovan, if if he's half as good as Kurt was, you you, you take that. So um, Notre Dame's had a lot of luck uh, and really a lot of success with the Heinish family and to have another, another Heinish in for the next four or five years is uh, can't be a bad thing, especially if he does his face paint like his brother. I like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I, and I think you made a really good point there with, you know, the versatility that the defensive line and the linebacker class has. I think some people think that, okay, well, if they're not great at one position or something like that, or, you know, maybe they're not as good as people say, but I think specifically in, in Marcus Freeman's defense, I mean, we saw what Jordan Patello did this year, lining up at linebacker at times. Isaiah Foskey even did even did so, um, you know, on, on certain situations. So guys like Burnham and Ziegler, who can maybe pass or can be, you know, edge rushers for you at times, but also line up um, at linebacker and just be really effective doing so. Um, I think that's a huge plus uh, for this class. But then, like you mentioned, you added Tyson Ford. And Tyson Ford reminds me a lot of a guy like, you know, MTA and Riley Mills and Jason Adam Malola guys that can line up at the strong side defensive end position 
and maybe line up at three technique. So even though Tyson, Tyson uh, Ford might be considered the defensive end now, um, I don't think he's a Viper. Um, I don't think they're expecting him to be a Viper, but you know, if he can line up at three different spots along the defensive line and play all of them effectively, you know, you're going to have a lot of versatility there at, with him as a player. And then I think with Gobira, um, I personally have him ranked as the number one kid in the class, which I, I think I'm kind of alone on that Island, which I'm okay with. Um, I've been, I think I've been more right and more right than wrong on kids when I've, when I've ranked them in the past, which I I'm proud of, but um, a guy like Gobira specifically, I mean, I think he's a elite edge rusher that, can play Viper, can maybe grow into being a strong side defensive end as well. Um, and I might have a little bit of a bold take here, but you see a guy like Aiden Hutchinson at, at uh, you know, at Michigan getting a lot of love for being the number one pick in the draft this year. Um, you obviously have the Bosa brothers, and I'm not trying to be, you know, because they're, you know, because they're white pass rushers, compare them, but I just think he has a lot of similarities to those guys. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if we're looking at, go by a three to four years down the road and saying that he's a legit, you know, top 10 prospect and maybe the top edge rusher um, in the entire country. I mean, I think he's that good um, overall. I mean, another guy, obviously like George Karloftis, who's coming out of the, who's coming out this year as well. And, you know, you have Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon. I mean, I just think he compares very favorable, favorably to, to those types of players. And it just wouldn't surprise me. So like I said, maybe that's a little bit of a bold take considering where he's ranked. But um, I'm that high on his upside overall. I think it is a little bit bold, but I definitely think he's going to be very good at Notre Dame. And you got to trust Mike Elson to develop defensive ends at this point. I mean, my God, considering what he's been able to do along the entire defensive line, but defensive ends specifically putting defensive ends into the, into the NFL, like it's his job, which it is. But um, yeah, Gobira is one of the better defensive end prospects that I can remember. And, just the, his ceiling is just through the roof. He has all the tools to be super successful at Notre Dame. And it wouldn't surprise me at all. I'm trying to think of a guy on the defensive side of the ball that would make, that has a potential to make an impact before Gobira. I would say Sneed in the, in this class, maybe, but uh, Sneed and Gobira probably, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe Burnham as well. I mean, I think Burnham's very is ready. I mean, look at, I mean, you see pictures of him on his second official visit to Notre Dame and the kid already looks like he could play defensive line in all honesty. So maybe a guy like that. Um, I do think Ford's going to take a little bit of time. Um, plus they have a lot of depth there, assuming some of a lot of those guys come back too. So, but go, you could argue that Viper is a spot that they need at least a second guy. Um, you know, Botello will obviously be involved, but if Gobira is ready to go, um, and I think the other, the, the other great part about him, and I don't, like I said, I don't mean to make this some sort of love fest, um, but I am going to talk up the guys I like specifically, you know, the, the idea, I mean, wins a lot. I mean, honestly, like he's a different type of breed of player that Mike Elson typically lands too. When you think about it, I mean, Dalen Hayes was like six, three, uh, you know, Khalid Kareem was very, very clearly like more of a, a strong side defensive end, albeit a very good one. I mean, yeah, you had a guy like, Ade, you know, Ade Ogundeji come in, but he was sort of a project when he committed uh, to Notre Dame and even signed with Notre Dame. And it took him a few years to get there. Um, it, and I'm talking about kind of like the length. I mean, when's the last time they really signed a guy with Gobira, you know, like, like, like a guy like Gobira who's 6'6", 230 coming in and is already considered one of the best, best pass rushers in the entire class. So it, 
that's one of the reasons why I'm so high on him is not only has Mike Elson developed guys to be just really, really good, you know, collegiate players and get drafted and be good NFL players. He hasn't really had a guy like Gobira to mold um, who's already polished um, at the same time. Yeah, no, I agree. He, uh, he has all the tools, like I said, to be very, very successful. And he's already built himself into a guy that, that can be successful from day one. So it's only, it's only going to get better from here. So yeah, he's, um, he's at the t- probably at the top of my list next to Snead and, and Burnham of guys. I'm super pumped to pump to watch and hopefully, you know, we should go to the blue and gold game. I go every year, but if, uh, if they allow people to people to go watching the freshman in that game is always so fun. Yeah. I probably won't be able to make it just that's in the middle of my baseball season, but um, which is unfortunate, but, but yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I mean, it'd be fine. I mean, another guy, obviously Nolan Ziegler, I think he can make an impact as a, as a freshman too, at a variety of spots. I mean, he might even be a guy that early on you put in some nickel situations, some dime situations, you know, to, to play even defensive back. Cause he's that talented. So, um, and then, and then he obviously he will grow in. I mean, you could argue that with maybe Snead as well with his size. I mean, they keep him. you know, maybe they keep him closer to like two Oh five as a freshman, um, you know, and he can play some, you know, some, I guess, de facto safety, I guess, if that makes any sense. So yeah, there's certainly like, like we mentioned, and this has kind of been the theme of the podcast. There's just a lot of versatility um, in the class. But um, before we get back to the uh, offensive side of the ball and get to quarterback and, and the, the wide receiver that committed and signed today, um, talk about the defensive back class. I um, obviously, like we mentioned, losing Devin Moore was, was certainly a, a, a tough pill to swallow. Um, not landing a guy like Xavier Nwankpa was was tough as well. Um, maybe they get out and in a guy on in February, but overall, I really do like this class. Um, you have three guys. I mean, two of them can probably play anywhere. Um, and Be- Benjamin Morrison out of Arizona, who's a four-star kid who committed to Notre Dame over a lot of really good offers. Um, and and Jaden Bellamy um, out of the same high school, actually, of Steve, Steve Angeli, who's the Notre Dame quarterback uh, signee. Um, he's a kid that's probably gonna end up at safety, but can play, but can play corner as well. And I think, like I said, Benj- Benjamin Morrison can play anywhere. Um, and then you have a guy like Jaden Mickey, um, who's probably more of a field corner, um, but someone that's desperately needed because I think they need like true corners um, in this class. And he's definitely the one guy that I think is 100% a true corner, and uh, and and a really and a damn good one at that. So. I'm still a really, really good three-man class. Well, like I said, I mean, losing Devin Moore sucked at the end and not landing a guy like Xavier Nwankpa or, you know, or whoever um, certainly hurt the class a little bit as well. But it's, it's hard to argue that the, three, the three-man class they have coming in isn't, isn't really, really good. It is very good, and I think that it's probably going to be clouded, unfortunately, by what could have been, and you mentioned it with Devin Moore and, and Nwankpa, which would make it just an unbelievable uh, defensive back class. Mickey is very good. Uh, is he the – well, I guess the Kelly era is over, but he's the highest-rated corner that Notre Dame's gotten along to. Did we, men- did we mention Morrison? Yeah, no, I talked about Morrison. Okay. <clears throat> Are you even um, paying attention when I talk, bro? No, I am, but I was, like, putting <laughs> my thoughts together while also listening. But, um, but yeah, the, between the two of them, they have to be two of the highest-rated corners that uh, – that, well, I, I can't say the Kelly era. I'm so used to saying that, but in, in recent memory – so well, to give you some perspective on that, I think Justin Rett, who just committed to them in the 2023 class, um, he's a composite, like the number 101 player in the country. Like I said, on the composite, I think he is the highest ranked player or highest ranked corner to commit to Notre Dame under Kelly and Jaden Mickey and both and 
Jaden Mickey and Morrison are both like near that, you know, up lower 200 range, upper, upper 100. So, I mean, they're certainly up there if they're not, if they're not the best. Yeah. So we're seeing an uptick in defensive back recruiting, which was very much needed. And so it's been defensive backs and receivers that are the problem. It's very obvious for everybody to see. That's what's holding Notre Dame back from, from winning a national title, in my opinion. So you, you need to be able to cover the stud receivers and you need to have the stud receivers as well. Uh, we'll talk about Tobias Merriweather in a second, who I do think is a stud, but uh, getting, getting more in Wonka will be awesome in this class. Mickey's going to be very good. Uh, I am high on Morrison as well. I'm not sure how I feel about Bellamy just yet. I think he is good. I don't think he's great, but he's uh, certainly better than the, the normal defensive back that you see in a Notre Dame class. So it's definitely an uptick in defensive back recruiting. I'm liking what I'm seeing. Uh, the 2023 class, I think, for defensive back specifically, has the chance to just be ridiculous. You just you just mentioned it with Rhett. Uh, Christian Gray is a, is a name to know. Uh, Peyton Bowen, uh, Ryan Yates. There, there's so many names to know in 2023 and so many yeah, different – Don Schuler. Right, yeah, Don, Don Chu. I didn't even mention the guy that's already committed. So, um, yeah, just uh, just a ridiculous amount of options, and that's not something that you're really used to when you're talking about Notre Dame recruiting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and I and I know we've kind of talked about this a little bit on the podcast already, but like Jaden Bellamy is another really good example of a kid that you know maybe he wasn't your first target, maybe he wasn't even your second guy. And defensive back recruiting, obviously, there's a there's a lot of guys to you know to kind of sift through. I mean, you're going to end up landing sometimes even four to five guys in a cycle. But Bellamy is a perfect example of a kid that you said, hey, you know what, we're going to take a chance on him. And we're still going to go after the, the bigger name dudes like Xavier Nawakba, hopefully keep Devin Moore in the class and, and so on and so forth. And at least when those guys don't end up working out, you still have a Bellamy there to keep the class strong. And that's what, and we'll get into it right now, the receiver class unfortunately didn't have, you know, you didn't have that Jaden Bellamy that sort of kept the class together. Um, now, granted, you know, even if Jaden Bellamy left, you still have two guys you know, in the defensive backfield for, for Notre Dame, but, you know, with, with, uh, with wide receiver recruiting, CJ Williams was definitely looking at USC for quite a while. Now, Amorion Walker was essentially a, a predicted flip, I guess, for, for Michigan, for how, however, you know, pretty much since he was offered by Michigan, which was a long time ago at this point. Um, I mean, he received the, the LSU and the Bama offers, immediately after Notre Dame and you know even though he was you know essentially or at least reportedly telling the Notre Dame coaches all the right things you know it's one of those things like follow what they do not what they say and it, and it kind of gets to this idea that in the past Notre Dame was really big on if you're committed you don't you don't go to other schools you don't visit other schools and you know, I, I respect them for the whole COVID thing saying, you know what, we understand that kids didn't really get to have the opportunity to visit schools and, and so on and so forth. So we want to give them that opportunity. And I completely respect that. I think Notre Dame was essentially all class um, when it came to that, but it ended up getting them played in Duke this year, unfortunately, at least with a guy like Walker. I don't think CJ Williams really played them. I think, you know, they knew that USC was probably his dream school. And with Lincoln Riley coming in, it just made a lot of sense for him to make that flip considering he was even considering it before, you know, before they even had a head coach and stuff like that. So, I mean, he was almost essentially ready to commit to them without, without a head coach, um, which is crazy to think about. So, but you didn't have like a guy and I, I don't want to get into too many names, but you know, there were certainly some guys out there that you probably could have landed that weren't just bodies, you know, going back to our favorite term there. 
And a, a kid that you could have said, you know what, we want you in the class. We're not sure if these guys are going to be in here, but we want you regardless. And that's a way to approach that situation and say, you're not our backup option. We want four guys, even if it's a lie, I guess. <laughs> I, know we, I know we can say that because we're not the Notre Dame coaching staff, but you, know, you could have gone to you know, some other players and just said, hey, you know what, we want four guys. We have a couple guys that we don't know if we're gonna, they're going to end up sticking with us you know, for one reason or another, or, or committing to us. So we want you and, you know, regardless of their situation, we want to keep you in the class. And, and then you can't be afraid as a, as a staff to tell guys like CJ Williams and Amorian Walker, like, Hey, like we really want you in the class. We're going to continue to recruit you, but if you're going to commit or if you're going to be visiting other schools, and even though you're telling us good things and stuff like that, for the most part, you know, we're not really considering new commits right now. You can publicly decommit or you can stay in the class however you want. But as of right now, we are going to recruit other guys essentially over you because we don't want to be blindsided on National Signing Day like they were today. I think, yeah, it has to be a big learning moment. Uh, I think, unfortunately, it might cost. I'm not saying this with any knowledge of the situation, but in the case of getting duped by Walker, I think that uh, – and to add on to already losing CJ Williams, I think it might cost Dell Alexander his job, which you can argue isn't totally his fault, but a lot of it is you've got to have a better feeling on this. Even if you are being straight up lied to, <clears throat> which totally isn't okay. And I don't want to say it says a lot about, about a Morion Walker. I'm sure he's a good kid, but at the same time, I mean, that's not the right way to handle things. I think I mean, he doesn't care what Notre Dame fans or anybody thinks, but at the same time, there would be no backlash if he backed off his commitment and went to Michigan. That's a normal thing to do, but to wait all the way until signing day to flip is just ridiculous. And really it it's uh, even if you weren't in, intending on going to, going to Notre Dame, just say that because and maybe you don't want to help out Notre Dame, whatever it is, but just decommit because that takes a scholarship and something away from somebody else. I'm again, I know he doesn't care about that, but it's just, it's the right way to go about things. Uh, it, it seemed like a very selfish thing to do. And um, you don't want to be, I don't want to be the guy that hates on a kid for making his decision. Hope, I hope he has a, I hope he's good at Michigan and, you know, does this thing there, but um, it wasn't the right way to go about it. And it, it makes a bad situation at wide receiver for Notre Dame, even worse. You can't only bring in one guy in a class that you need three or four even though Tobias Merriweather is very, very good. So, I mean, it is what it is. The transfer portal is going to help Notre Dame. They're going to bring in a guy, uh, very confident in that. And then 2023 is going to have to bring in three or four guys. And there's some big targets I like a lot. But at the same time, that was a real slap in the face over the last week. And in a recruiting class uh, at wide receiver, I was really high on with Merriweather, Williams, and Walker. But you lose two of those guys for different reasons. And Williams and Walker's situation shouldn't be compared, as you mentioned, uh, both very different, both backed away from Notre Dame, which obviously sucks. But um, we, we can focus on the positive being that Tobias Merriweather is very good and will be very good at Notre Dame. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm crapping on a kid or anything like that. But just to echo a lot of your thoughts, I mean, there's, there's definitely a better way to go around about, you know, certainly the Walker case. Um, yeah, I think he was a kid that, you know, you could argue was sort of misguided in the process, not because he didn't commit to Notre Dame. I think that's one thing that people need to realize is just because we're Notre Dame fans, Notre Dame analysts, we're not saying, I mean, if it was the other way around where he was committed to Michigan the entire cycle 
and was telling them all the right things and then ended up flipping to Notre Dame and essentially, you know, duping Michigan, it, I would feel kind of weird in my stomach about that. Um, and, and it would just, it would be like, okay, is this a kid that you can trust? You know, is he going to enter the portal after one year when he's not getting playing time or, or something? And so it, it just goes back to the idea of like, even with the, the new NIL and the money that goes around with kids and, you know, the, the immediate eligibility that kids can have. I mean, there's still, there's a way that you can go about this process with integrity um, and transparency. I think that's the word I've been using today um, to describe it is just be, be transparent. Like there's no reason for the Notre Dame staff to have to feel like they're, you know, that you're in the fold or even if they're not confident because of some of the actions that you've been making, but you keep telling them you're good, you're good, you know? And then it felt weird when he was in his, you know, when he was in his like signing day press conference or whatever you want to call it, the first thing he said was, I want to thank Dell Alexander, Tommy Reese, Brian Kelly, whoever, you know, for recruiting me. You guys were the first ones on me. You guys were the the guys that recruited me the hardest just to pick a different school and and not even tell them until the and you know, you didn't even tell them. You just you you ascend, they found out when you announced. Like, that's just not a way, in my opinion, to, to approach anything, but, but it does go. And like you said, it's, I think it's a learning curve for the, you know, for the coaching staff overall. I mean, maybe Dell Alexander's in as a coach for Notre Dame next year. Maybe he's not. Um, but I can guarantee you that I think moving forward, they're going to go back to their roots when it comes to, you know, looking at a kid's actions versus a kid's words. If he's going to have to, Notre Dame yeah. can't always be the nice guy as much as, great as it sounds recruiting is is a cutthroat business and so is college football and while I can appreciate being the respectful program and letting guys go on visits during COVID was the right thing to do but it bites you in the ass here in a, in a way that it really you can't afford it to so it's super frustrating looking from the outside in uh, I can't even imagine how, how Dell Alexander and Tommy Reese and everybody reacted but I just I can't get over it. It's been on my mind all day and it really shouldn't be because it's so dumb and trivial. But at the same time that I, I can't imagine, you know, being on the phone or looking, you know, if you're a Walker and his parents look, being on the phone or looking these Notre Dame coaches in the face like, yeah, you guys, nothing to worry about. I'm just, you know, going on these visits and joining the process, which is what we kind of chalked it up to be even going to like Kansas State. Like, where did that even come from? But then, um, you know, thinking he's just enjoying the process, telling these Notre Dame coaches, yeah, nothing to worry about, even up to last night. Nothing to worry about. You know, I'm just – I'll be signing with Notre Dame. No worries. And then you flip like that. I, I, I can never condone lying. Uh, it's super frustrating. I, I, I don't get it. I never will. But um, to each their own, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, and we certainly don't know every conversation that was being had. So we don't know the, the full story. But that seems to be what's being reported, essentially, is that, you know, they – Notre Dame at least felt duped. And I think that that's fair to say at this point, but um, I don't want to belabor it too much longer. I know we haven't even really talked about Tobias Merriweather. I mean, we both agree that he's a dynamic player and he's a kid that, you know, even though he's the single receiver in this class, he's probably going to end up being a really, really good college player. And I'm happy Notre Dame has him in the fold. Um, it certainly helps, you know, down the line because when he's a sophomore or junior and he's contributing at a high level, um, and that's the one thing to, to realize, too. I mean, they they might only have eight guys next year on scholarship, but if all eight guys are are good and they're contributing, then that makes the depth seem a, at least a little bit better. Um, and I certainly feel like Merriweather is very much in the mold of a Lorenzo Styles or a Deion Colsey, where he can he can contribute at a high level for him uh, as a as a freshman. 
um, and, and someone that you can, you know, maybe look to as a playmaker for you uh, uh, next year. Yeah, all you got to do is pop on the tape, man. The guy's different, and he would look even better in a class that had receivers other than him, but hit is a term that we use a lot. Uh, unfortunately, he's been using a lot in terms of receivers, but Merriweather almost has to hit in a class that he's by himself. Um, we mentioned in Twitter spaces, I think I said yesterday that, you, I mean, thankfully it's looking like Colsey Styles and Thomas are going to be hits, at least from what we've seen. And to go four for four is big. And maybe that's credit to Dell Alexander, but you need more bodies. Again, I'm, I hate these terms I'm using, but I have to. You need more bodies in this wide receiver room. And even if you do hit on all four of these guys in a row, you need more. I think Merriweather's going to be very good. He has to be for Notre Dame. I think he's going to have an opportunity, depending on what Lindsey, uh, shoot, Lindsey, Austin, Wilkins and Davis, what they all decide to do. I don't know. How likely do you think it is that all, all four of them return? I think they all should. I don't know if they all will, but even if a, a pair of them leave, Merriweather's thrust into a role as a freshman immediately. Yeah, I mean, it certainly feels like with them missing out on the two guys that they lost out on late in the cycle and, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, it certainly feels like maybe even a guy like Wilkins, who might have been looking for a better opportunity to be more of a guy, he might feel like at Notre Dame he can be that next year. Um, so I wouldn't – I don't know if I want to say it's like likely, likely that all four return, but I would be pretty surprised if at least three out of four didn't return. And like you mentioned, I mean, I think at the very least they'll land one – they'll land one guy um, in the portal and then maybe another guy in the, uh, you know, in the February signing period um, as a true freshman. And so – um, yeah, no, I mean, it certainly feels like Wilkins and specifically Davis. I think those two more than anything. I mean, obviously, I think Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay would be, you know, it would be sort of foolish of them to leave. Um, you know, obviously, if you want to transfer out, that's your prerogative. But I don't think either of them are ready for the NFL right now. Um, and then I think in Austin's case, I think next year, he's a guy that is definitely worthy of the NFL. But, you know, I think having one more year of, of legitimate playing time and legitimate production is something that they should, you know, he should be looking forward to, um, you know, and maybe he ends up being one of the top, you know, wide receivers in next year's class. Cause I think he certainly has that ability. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the likelihood of all four of them returning is actually relatively high. You'd hope so because they, I think they all need to, I don't, Lindsay is not an NFL guy and you, you don't know if he wants to come back. Maybe he wants to be done, but I, I'd imagine he does want to come back. And it seems like a lot of the guys, there's different situations for Hamilton and, and Kyron Williams that are moving on to the NFL and are surefire draft picks. But it seems like from, from what we've been kind of hearing that a lot of guys are really excited for what this team can be next year and the year after, and they want to come back and be a part of it. So you're hoping that that translates to the receivers as well. Uh, Wilkins and Davis both coming off of, of major season ending injuries. So you don't know exactly what you're going to get from them, but with an, with a lot of time to heal in this entire off season to get back into shape, you, you'd assume that they'll come back hundred percent. So I hope all four guys come back because I think they need to, I can't remember who said this first. I'm not going to claim it as mine. I think it might've been Tim O'Malley, but he was saying that, you know, at the moment, if, if Kevin Austin declares to the NFL, there's 200 Kevin Austin's in the NFL. So I don't, I don't know if, if he's waiting on like a draft grade for somebody to tell him that, that that's the case, but he needs to prove that he's an even better receiver on the college level before he decides to take another step up into the NFL level. Cause really this was his first full season at Notre Dame 
as the guy. And before that, he didn't really do hardly anything at all for one reason or another. So having another season as the guy would serve him well and definitely would serve Notre Dame well. So it seems like a no-brainer, but we're not Kevin Austin. Yeah, and I think the other important thing to note here is the the class right now with 2022 specifically, it's going to hurt more in years to come, assuming you don't land – you know, a, a big name portal guy or a few big portal guys and, and obviously hit on the 2023 cycle with, with some huge names that might be able to contribute immediately. But if you return everybody next year, you return, you literally return everybody. There's not a guy that's transferred out. I mean, Lawrence keys wasn't a part of the, of, of the team this year. He transferred out after, I think, what was it? Week one or week two Xavier Watts. I mean, moved to the defensive side of the ball very early on. So if you were, I mean, you're, if you return Kevin Austin, Avery Davis, Braden Lindsay, and, and Joe Wilkins on top of the guys that are already there that have, you know, several years of eligibility left, you're literally returning every single form of your offense or passing offense from last season. Um, the only guy you really lose on offense overall is Kyron Williams, which is big, but that's the running back. It's not your wide receiver room. And, all, and then you're only adding Tobias Merriweather. So while it, it does suck that you're only adding one guy in the 2022 cycle. It shouldn't hurt you for next year. Um, and I think that's certainly important to note. And, you know, maybe one, maybe one thing positive to say for, for, for the wide receiver room overall is that people shouldn't be worried about next year, assuming these guys come back. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a situation that uh, it'll be interesting to, to watch. Um, you'd imagine we're going to know sooner rather than later if they're coming back, right? If, you know, if they're, if they have intentions like uh, Kevin Austin or I guess Lindsay to go to the NFL, they are, they're going to have to make that known pretty soon after the bowl game, I'd imagine. So hopefully we get What's yeah. that? I mean, or even before, I mean, you never know. I mean, if they're still deciding, they might, they might decide they don't want to play in it. That's true. I didn't even think about that. So you, you I mean, Notre Dame does need those guys in the bowl game. If you already are down, Kyron Williams on offense. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we should be finding out some information here soon. You'd think it'd be a, kind of a dead period, not an actual dead period, but in, in terms of news uh, leading up to the bowl game. But it's been anything but, and I anticipate that will continue. So, uh, fun for us, and it's uh, content for sure, but geez. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and moving on real quick, I know we've been going going strong for over an hour now, but, you know, cer certainly not, uh, last but certainly not least, um, is quarterback Steve Angeli. Um, I know he wasn't maybe the guy that some people wanted to land. Um, you know, when you look at some of the other names, I mean, Drew Aller that ended up committing to Penn State, he was a guy that felt like Notre Dame could have landed, landed if they were in on him earlier. Um, Gavin Wimsat was that a kid that ended up committing to Rutgers and, and reclassifying into the 2021 class that Notre Dame was in on as well. And I think they offered him and Angeli the same day um, you know, and then obviously there were some other names. They were in on Walker Howard late, um, or I mean, actually pretty early, um, but he was committed to LSU and, you know, wasn't a guy that was really going to budge um, in that recruitment, but they did end up getting him on campus, you know, later in the cycle, um, you know, and kind of made their move for him when it, you know, and obviously ultimately didn't end up working out. But, you know, of course, there were some other name guys. I mean, Ty Simpson, who ended up at Alabama, was a kid that they liked a lot as well. Um you know, and I'm sure that, you know, they've been in on some guys over the last couple of days, like a Nick Evers who ended up committing to Oklahoma and so on and so forth. Um, but I, this is another position where I feel like I trust the coach a little bit. I mean, I know Tommy Reese doesn't necessarily have the track record that, uh, you know, Mike Elson has, or even maybe a Marcus Freeman has, 
Um, but I do think he's made some savvy additions to the quarterback room. I mean, obviously getting Jack Cohn as a transfer ended up working out maybe even better than we originally thought, um, specifically after the first couple games of the season. Um, we all like Tyler Buckner's upside, um, and we thought that was a terrific land, you know, in the 2021 cycle. Uh, Drew Pine is shown to be a player for them, possibly, um, if he were to, you know, step into a role. Um, you know, and then so I think you got to give – Reese the benefit of the doubt here a little bit and I specifically like Angeli more than most I mean just watching his tape I mean he plays on a really really good offense and a really good team overall who I think has won a, a state championship at least twice in a row maybe three times in a row um, but they have a really good running game and you know and they do a lot of things well and they just dominate their opponents so Angeli hasn't really been kind of thrust upon to do things um, but he's a big kid you know, I kind of compare him to Jack Cohn, to be completely honest with you, like coming out of high school at least, um, but with a little bit more athletic ability. I think he's a guy who can move the chains with his legs um, more so than Jack Cohn was able to do. Um, and he, I think he has a big arm. And like I said, he's he's a big kid too. So he, you, you don't have to worry about, you know, the Ian Book, the Drew Pine and stuff like that, where people always complained about how they couldn't see over the offensive line or so on and so forth. I mean, Angeli's a kid that certainly isn't going to have a problem doing that. Um, and like I mentioned, I think he, I think his upside is certainly better than his floor. Um, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, he, he's better than a lot of the prospects that we've seen from Notre Dame in the past, uh, bar Tyler Buckner. I, I like him a fair amount. Uh, I don't think he's anything special. He's not a needle mover. Like, like we're hoping to land in the, in the 2023 class. Uh, I think he is good. And you mentioned the size and mobility as well. And those are two tools that you look for in a guy that, could develop into being something special, right? He's got the big arm. He can, he can move and he's a big guy that's hard to take down. So um, almost like a, I'm trying to think of an example, like a Walmart brand, like Josh Allen, maybe that's less like with less athleticism, you know, the big arm, tall, stocky, and can move his feet as well. So um, and jelly has, has a, has potential. It can Reese tap into that. I'm not sure. Um, Buckner looks to be the guy for the next couple of years. I mean, we don't know it, but that all signs kind of point to that. Um, I, I like the, the quarterback room at the moment with those three and we'll kind of see where it goes from there. I would have liked to potentially see a second guy. I'm really high on Drew. Uh, is it Alar? Alar, what, uh, the Penn State com, uh, signee now. I almost said commit, but uh, he's going to be very good. Ty Simpson I liked a lot. Um, Cade Klubnick is your guy, Nathan, who's going to be very good. Um, so there's a lot of guys that, that Notre Dame was in on in this cycle. I think that potentially they ended up with the worst one, in my opinion, out of those, those three I just named. So out of those four, including Angeli, I, I think he is, he's good. He's not great. Um, you certainly would rather have him in the fold as compared to some other guys, but uh, he, he, I don't know. He, he's man for me. He's not a needle mover, but you don't need a guy like a, like a Buckner every single cycle. You need a one probably every other cycle and Notre Dame's in on a lot of big time guys and in 2023 that, that I, I really like potentially even more than in jelly. So. Yeah. And then there's always the argument, like I said, this is where you have to trust Tommy Reese a little bit. And right. the fact that, you know, got no one thought Ian book would be what he became. I don't even think people expected to see Drew Pine perform at the level he did when he was called upon this year. So, you know, and, and now you have a guy that, 
maybe even has more upside than both of those guys, which is weird to say, because um, I do think he's like, I, like he is the big body. I think he has like the legitimate arm strength that can move. That could be a needle mover if, if he hits that upside. Um, so I, I know I'm definitely higher on him than you. Um, yeah, no doubt. Maybe that's because I had a relationship with him before he was a commit to Notre Dame. Um, you know, I, I, I've interviewed him several times and kept up with his recruitment prior to even being offered. Um, and I'll be honest, I think I even said this to you. I, I was not expecting him to be the first offer for Notre Dame at, at quarterback. It didn't seem like that way based off of, you know, how talks were going. And I was in communication with other kids like a Cade club, Nick, like you mentioned, um, and, and a Gavin Limsat, even I know who was obviously one of the first offers for Notre Dame. Like I wasn't expecting Angeli to be, the first offer. but, but I do think Angeli is a guy that Reese very much liked. And I don't think it was even a, a second option uh, per se, like, like we've talked about with some other, with some other players, maybe in this class or, or just in general. I mean, I think Steve Angeli was a kid that Tommy Reese very much wanted. And if that's the case, I'm going to give I'm going to give him an opportunity um, and the benefit of the doubt. And on top of that, like I said, I've watched his film and I, and I do like it. So, you know, I, I definitely think he's better than most people or most Notre Dame fans feel. And, and I'm ready to see what he can do in a Notre Dame uniform. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think I, maybe I'd be higher on him if he didn't wear number one. I don't like that. <laughs> Fair I enough. I don't like it at all. I, I'm, a, I'm a numbers and I'm a name guy. If you have a cool number and you have a cool last name, you're almost like guaranteed to be good, I think. And um, and Jelly's a cool last name, but the number thing isn't good. I, I when's the last time a quarterback wore number one at Notre Dame? Has that ever happened? Good question. I, I don't. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Probably never. For, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's ever happened. But uh, I, and that's not a guarantee that he will wear number one. But that's what all of his pictures have him wearing, which is you know it's whatever. And I'm joking, obviously, but <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, well, guys, well, we went a little bit longer for you today. We wanted to make sure that we got to hit, you know, all of the kids in the class. I mean, the only guy we didn't really mention was Bryce McPherson. The only thing you really need to know about him is that he's one of the best punters in the country, maybe the number one punter in the country. Um, Notre Dame was able to flip him kind of late in the cycle. So um, if you're into special teams and punting, uh, Notre Dame landed one of the best in the country. So um, there you have it with him. Um, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I just, it to me, that he's, he's one of the best. And, you know, that's really all you need to, all you really need to know. Um, but we wanted to, yeah, like I said, we wanted to make sure you guys got to have a pretty good look at what this class is strengths, weaknesses, what they can improve on, you know, maybe later on in this cycle and the transfer portal, what they need to hit on in 2023. And then just give, like I said, give you some insight on at least our thoughts on a lot of these kids. I mean, we're, like I said, we're not certain, we're not Tom lawyer, you know, or Mike Singer or Kevin Sinclair, you know, guys that kind of do this for a living, but we've certainly talked to a lot of these kids in this class a fair amount, um, you know, when we were able to um, get, you know, when we kind of did this as a side piece, I guess, for lack of a better word, and, um, you know, or as a side job, I should say, but, um, but yeah, no, so like we, like me, I know, I know I'm very high on this class, Mason's very high on this class, and if you look at the rankings, um, this is certainly a, if it's not a needle mover, then it's, it's getting, you know, it's, it's inching closer to what you would want as, as a needle mover. So, um, and, and Mason, if you want to echo any of those thoughts real quick before we wrap up, I mean, that's, that's pretty much all I have. Yeah. Um, just that, you know, we're trying to find our niche and I think this is it. 
Um, we don't necessarily always have, you know, the breaking news or the, the really good scoop. Like, like you mentioned, a guy like Loy, like a, a guy like Loy has, but at the same time, I like to think that we're decent at, at analyzing these guys and have a decent insight into the program and, and understand football at a good amount to where we can provide good insight in, in a podcast form that we, there, there really isn't on the Notre Dame uh, beat or market at the moment. So um, that's what we're trying to provide for you guys. I know this is long, but if you want a good breakdown of each and every player in this class and what was a wild class, you got it right here. And uh, we're only going to continue with the 2023 cycle. So stay tuned. Yeah, absolutely, guys. And as always, uh, he's Mason. I'm Nathan. You can find him at Mason Plumber underscore. You can find me at Nathan underscore Erbach. Um, that's where we put all of our our podcasting and, and different things like that and our insights. So if you listen to us only through our podcast, definitely follow us there. Um, maybe we'll eventually end up having a podcast uh, Twitter page or something like that when it gets a little bit bigger. But um, again, Great sharing with you guys. We'll be back on Spaces next week as well as uh, as another podcast, you know, certainly breaking down a little bit more of the Fiesta Bowl. And, you know, maybe we have some more news for you from the transfer portal and, you know, guys they might be in on uh, late in this cycle and so on and so forth. So, like I said, as always, it's, it's great in talking to you and we'll, we'll see you next time.